visitor here, I do not normally stand in front of a lectern and cling on to it like this, but I'm going to make reference to what's happened to me um, later on as I talk. When Andy first gave, us, gave me this passage of scripture to preach from, my initial reaction was to be a bit disappointed that we weren't actually doing one of those stories of the resurrection like Mary Magdalene or the two disciples on their way home to Emmaus. But the more I have studied this passage, I am so thankful that that's what we're doing this morning because our emphasis will not be back 2,000 years ago, our emphasis is going to be right in the present. What does it mean for us right now, this minute, that Jesus has risen from the dead? I don't know whether you know this old greeting, but this has been a greeting for many hundreds of years. I say the first line, you respond with the second, and we'll do it three times. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. All right. Now, before we read this passage from Colossians chapter 2, if you're not very familiar with it, you'll probably wonder what the Mary Dickens is Paul talking about. You know, I think if Paul had lived now, he would have been great at tweeting. I think he could have out-tweeted Donald Trump any time. Paul is wonderful at condensing a very deep message into a very few words. And as you read through this, you'll think, hang on, wait a minute, he's talking about circumcision, then he's talking about baptism, he's talking about the fullness of Jesus, he's talking about the resurrection, he's talking about the... I'm lost, where am I? But if you were a member of the church at Colossae 2,000 years ago, this would have made perfect sense to you because just like every New Testament church, that church was trying to work out what did it actually believe. Remember that they didn't all have copies of scripture. They didn't even have the Old Testament, let alone the New. And so the church would have consisted of Jews and Greeks and Romans and the local people, all with a mishmash of belief and there were some heresies coming into the church as well. And so what Paul is doing when he says, don't be carried away by vain philosophies, by the things that men want to put on you, he then goes like bullet points. You who believe this, you're wrong, you should believe this. If you believe this, you're wrong. If you believe this, you're wrong. So it's like a series of bullet points. So if that just goes over your head, don't worry because I'm going to choose three very simple, very forceful statements from this that we'll all get our heads around. So having said all that, and Rosemary will move it on for me, thank you. So let's read it. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, 
you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptised, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Amen. Now I'm going to go back to front. I'm going to start at the back of it and we're going to end up at the front of it. And the first phrase that we're going to pick out is he forgave all our sins. That comes towards the end. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. Now why on resurrection morning do we hark back to Good Friday? We did all that on Friday. This is resurrection morning. Why are we going back to the cross? But the fact of the matter is you cannot have the death of Jesus on the cross without the resurrection and you cannot have the resurrection without the death of Jesus on the cross. They go together like two sides of the same coin. And so before we come to the resurrection, let's just go back a moment to what this says about the cross. Now there is a tremendous statement that Paul made here that even we as Christians of long standing have the greatest difficulty in getting our heads around. Paul says on the cross, Jesus forgave some of our sins, the past sins, the sins of yesterday, the sins that aren't too bad. What does it say? All. All our sins. The sin we have committed up to now, the sin we are committing today and the sin we are going to commit tomorrow, it has all been forgiven. It is so hard for us to get our heads around that. We still want to feel guilty about the things we've done in the past. Now bearing that in mind, why does John say if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There are times when we need to be aware of what we've done wrong. God wants us to know we still go on sinning despite the fact that we are Christians. And indeed, the more mature you become in Christ, the more conscious will you be of the little respectable sins that other people will overlook but we realise hurt God, hurt ourselves and hurt other people. For example, I go to a Bible study, not in this church, I go to a Bible study in another church and I have to say to God, Lord, I'm so sorry, I am so arrogant and pig-headed and little miss know-it-all. Please forgive me. 
Now, the people like me coming to that Bible study because they like what I know, but from my point of view, I see my arrogance. So I have to keep on. God has forgiven me for my arrogance. But it's, it's good for me to recognise that I am still sinning. I am arrogant. I need to confess it, recognise that I'm forgiven and I need to repent of it and do, so do it differently. When I go back next time, not be arrogant, not just say to God, well, there I am again, little miss, know it all, please forgive me. The whole idea of this is that we change, we mature, we become more like Christ. But this is the foundation. If we don't get this, that God has forgiven all our sins, we can't go on to the fullness of the life that is offered to us through the resurrection of Christ. So let's go back another step to the phrase that came before this. Thanks, Rosemary. Then God made you alive with Christ. Now, as I pondered on this phrase, I got a picture of an eagle trapped in a little cage because I was thinking about what Paul says earlier. He says, you were dead because of your sins or you were dead in your sins. What does that mean and what does it mean to come alive in Christ? Now, no illustration is perfect. No illustration can ever give you the full idea. It'll only give you a part of an idea. But this is part of the idea for me of, to what, of what it means to come alive in Christ, to live in Christ, to be made alive. That eagle trapped in a tiny, tiny cage is dead to flying. Now, it's alive in the sense that it's living and breathing and eating and drinking, but the capacity of its wings that you can see in the bottom picture are dead. It's got no ability to fly in that little cage. It is dead to flying. And that's what it's like when we are trapped in our sin. We're still walking around living and breathing, but we are dead to the possibilities of life that God offers to us by making us alive with Christ, by sharing his resurrection life with us. If you open the door of the cage, then out flies the eagle and there it is soaring. It is now alive in the fullest sense of the word. It is having fun. It is rejoicing. It's soaring. It can face the storm, it has power, it has strength, it's doing what it's created to do. And that's how we, belo- we become alive in Christ, to our full potential, created what he, doing what he created us to do. But, but, there's a door on that cage. You can open the door... And the eagle has a choice. And you'll see sometimes, tragically, with a caged bird, that it won't actually fly. It will prefer to stay in its cage. And sadly, that's how some of us are. Even when we're Christians, people can be trapped. You can be trapped in the past. You can be trapped in the abuse of the past. You can be trapped in addiction. You can be trapped in fear. 
too frightened to come out of the cage. In a sense, the eagle was safe in its cage. It was being fed. People were looking after it. People would come and talk to it. Free, it's got to take the responsibility itself of flying, of looking after itself, of finding its food. When we find life in Christ, the responsibility then is ours of finding our way through life. I watched a couple of television programs um, a week or two ago and I was so sad because there was one man in that television program who was so trapped in the abuse of the past. He had been abused by an Anglican priest when he was a child and I don't want to minimise in any way the horror of that abuse and the effect on him and the crime that that man committed. I don't want to exonerate him or minimise it in any way. It is as shocking as it was. But unfortunately, this man who is now a senior adult is like that eagle in the cage. He's trapped in that abuse of the past. His whole life is coloured by what happened in the past. He hasn't found that there is an open door. He can actually fly free. Now, for a moment, let's just imagine that the eagle has a human memory. When the eagle is flying free like that, if it had a human memory, it could still remember being trapped in the cage. doesn't mean that that's all wiped out. The memory is still there, but it is not hindering that eagle in any way. He's been free. He's been free from what trapped him in the past. And that's the life in Christ that he wants to offer you. The cage door is open and the choice is yours whether you fly free or stay trapped in that cage. And if you want to talk to somebody about it afterwards, this isn't something that we get through in five minutes, but by all means come and talk to us and make an appointment to work through if there's something that you feel that's trapping you, that you're not fully alive in Christ, let's work through it with you. And then to come to the last point, which is at the beginning of this reading, now, I read it from the New Living Translation because these words of Paul's are so complex that it was good to get a simple version. But I've come back to a more literal translation, the words from the English Standard Version and from a number of other old versions. So walk in him. Now, what Paul did, he wrote the word walk the Greek word he used for walk is the word for ambling around, as, as we might do after church on our way down to morning tea, having a little roam around and talking to people, kind of aimless, purposeful, purposeless walking around. But he used a Greek word with Jewish thinking. His Jewish thinking says that walk in the Jewish mind is representative of the whole of life. And that's because... If you lived 2,000 and more years ago, you did a heck of a lot of walking. You didn't need to go to a gym and stand on a silly machine to do your walking. That strikes me as one of the silliest things we've ever invented. What's wrong with our own two feet in the outside world? Why, if you lived up here, would you want to shut out the mountains and go and stand in the gym? The love of Mike, anyhow, that just goes to show, just goes to show how old I am, I'm sorry. 
But if you lived 2,000 years ago, you didn't need to have the doctor prescribe that you walk a half an hour a day. You walked everywhere. If you wanted to go shopping in Katoomba, you walked into Katoomba and did your shopping. If you wanted to go and visit somebody, you walked there. Now, I have become very conscious of how much walking is a part of everything that we do because for the last month, walking from one end of the house to the other has been a real difficult burden for me. For the last month, I have not taken a step without pain. I roll around on a wheelie walker at home, which is a lot better, but I can't bring it out with me, so hence the walking stick. Now, I find it ironic in talking about walking as a metaphor for life that walking for me at the moment is such a difficulty. And I want to talk about that because as I've thought about our life in Christ, what does walk in him, walk with him but walk in him, what does it look like in daily life? It's one of those phrases we can stand up here and talk about. What does it actually look like? Well, now, this is what it's looked like for me for the last month or so. Why didn't God heal me a month ago when the healing rooms people prayed for me? And why hasn't he healed me any time within the last month when you've all prayed for me and the healing rooms have prayed again and everybody under the sun has prayed for me? Has God turned his back on me? Is he sitting up in heaven shaking his fist at me and saying, no, I'm not going to answer that prayer. I don't love you anymore. I've abandoned you. Let me tell you what's happened in the last month. Apart from the physical side of it, which it's been very difficult to diagnose, but it appears that from my waist to my knee, I've injured every muscle that I've got. I had a fall a while ago, and while I didn't have any result at the time, I've now got it. And I've also got arthritis, and I hitched my body up wrongly. And if there's anything else, there might well be, you name it, I've got it. However, now it's all been diagnosed, it's being addressed, and I'm getting very slowly through it. Why didn't God heal me? As I've thought about this, I can now give two answers to that and who knows, there may well be more. But one answer is, I now know what it feels like to be disabled. I've never been disabled in my life and I now know what it feels like to be struggling down Govett's Leap Road on a walking stick, conscious of every tiny little few centimetres that the, the, the street rises and falls and to have people look at me and open doors for me and either kind of knock me over on the way or be very kind and polite. I know what it's like and I know what it's like to suffer constant pain. That gives me far more understanding when I'm dealing with people. That is one blessing that God has given me by not answering that, that prayer. But here's something else. And I have to be very vague about this because I can't break a confidentiality. In the course of meeting all sorts of people in the last month because of this disability, God has used me to minister to someone. Someone I had, would never have met if I hadn't been in this state. And he has used me to bless that other person. Now, I don't know what else God has done. God doesn't send us trouble and calamity, but my goodness, he uses it. 
And that's what it means to walk with him, to be alive with Christ and to walk with him, not railing against the things that happen. Why me? Where's God? Why did God allow this to happen to me? You know all those questions that people ask. If there's a loving God, then he wouldn't let this happen. God uses everything. And in our walk in Christ, in coming alive in Christ, in walking with him and in him, we learn to see life differently. This is what hoping and trusting God is all about. That no matter what the circumstances look like, when they come to you, of course we suffer, of course we're sad, of course we're upset, whatever it might be, but we look beyond that and we know without a shadow of a doubt that because Jesus has risen from the dead, he has conquered sin in all its forms, then whatever it is that's going on, God will use for his glory, for our benefit and his glory. The next time something unfortunate happens to you, can I suggest you change your prayer? Instead of saying, Lord, make this go away, make me comfortable again, I don't want it. Why don't you pray, Lord, show me what it is that you want me to learn from this situation. Show me in the power of the risen Christ what this means, how I can be a blessing to somebody else, how you're going to use this and how you're going to turn it around to your glory. That's frequently my prayer these days when there's a muddle of things around that um, that, that I see that are problems. My frequent prayer is, Lord, just fix it, but fix it to your glory. That's the difference of living the resurrected life. In the, in the letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote what has become my life first, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. They go together. The more you know Jesus, the more intimately you know him, the more you walk, not just with him, but in him, the more you see the power of the resurrection available in your life, both for yourself and to bless others. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, What a tremendous blessing we have that we can come to this day and remember that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't go to a grave and remember, we remember someone whose bones are there, but the grave is empty. We worship a living Saviour. We worship the one who is with us, who walks with us, who lives with us. Lord, show us what it means to live in the power of the resurrection right now, to find that power in our own lives and to share that power with the people that we meet. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.